Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today's guest is good at tuning out the noise and living life on her terms. I can respect that. She's the host of More Than Just, and she is more than just a lot of things. Mel McSherry, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Hello. How are you? I'm good, sweetie. How are you? I'm good. Okay. So I hit record and we're just going to rock and roll. Are you ready? Let's do it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I know a question that you always ask all the people on your podcast is what is your main title or descriptor? So I kind of wanted to throw that at you. Ooh, look at you. So I would say business and life guide. That honestly took me a bit to know it's okay to connect to that, if that makes sense. Like I talk a lot, especially on the episode that I did on my own about my relationship with titles and how those were at first ways that I could mold myself or hide myself or just know how to act or who to be in a room instead of me stepping into that title and really owning what it means to me and how I can portray that, formulate that, what have you. So yeah, I love that you asked me that question because that's actually surprising to me that that was the first thing really that came to my head. Yes. I would like to know how you expand upon being a business and life guide. Like what does that mean to you? So to me, it's giving people the space and support to really build what they want to build. And I really started moving away from the term or the title coach, because to me, that term has come with a context of instant problem solving, formulaic, you know, do these five things and you'll be fine. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to formulate quote unquote, what I do instead of just doing it and customizing those tools that I have to what that person needed and wanted and would support them in creating what they wanted. And so moving into more of the title guide really came forward. So I use human design as one of my main tools when it comes to support. And at my human design, I'm called a projector. There's five types. One of them is called projector. And literally the definition of being a projector is to guide. I am a, I am a guide and it's not to prescribe. It's not to formalize or crystallize or make these cookie cutter solutions. It's showing people what they already know to be true, how they can do it and what awarenesses they need to, you know, strengthen the not so much as or who to bring in 
to strengthen those not so much is. So I really expand on that term guide because I'm here to give you space, to support you, to challenge you, but I'm not here to give you the answer. You already have the answer. I show you how to connect to it. And then what are the resources we can call in to continue that growth? I will say one thing in your book that you wrote was like, how does the work that you're doing make you feel? And that- Mm -hmm is very telling. Mm-hmm. Cuz profitable to me, so the book she profits, profitability to me is threefold. It's mentally, emotionally and financially. And I know in my journey now in the last 13 years of being an entrepreneur, that emotional, you know, mental part was second like that was that was way in the back burner like if I had a million burners, it was way in the back because I how do I want to say it? I really I guess drank the Kool-Aid when it came to how you prove you're successful as an entrepreneur is you hit that six figure, right? You hit that 10K a month. Like those were just magical words that for some reason equated quote unquote success. And so that was my, that turned into actually my main drive. It wasn't when I originally started. I originally started to be an entrepreneur because I didn't want anybody to tell me how to do shit. And I wanted to train who I wanted to train, the hours I wanted to train them. I was a personal trainer and I wanted to do it my way. So the financial aspects originally was that third profitability point for me. The mental and emotional was first and foremost. But then when I got really into this world of entrepreneurship, especially when I started joining with a network marketing company and kind of doing more of this, you know, quote unquote coaching, I really buckled under the pressure of, well, to prove you're successful, you need to be this financially successful. And so my hierarchy of needs got flipped. And slowly but surely, not like overnight, but slowly but surely, I started making that more my driving factor than, you know, the question that I love to ask that's in my book, is this a lifestyle or an empire? What does success really mean to me? And what does that really feel like to me and look like to me? And honoring that, and then how can I make it How can I make that so instead of spouting this out and having somebody go, well, that's nice, but what about these six figures? Like, you know, so it really has been a transitional thing where it's like full circle. Now I'm back to no, no, mental, emotional first, financial, always funnels because this is about sustainability more than anything. Yeah, I love that. And, And something else really simple that you did mention many times in your book was what do you want? Yep. What do you want? What I want is, <laughs> I love the asked this question. And this was another answer that surprised me. I actually asked myself that in a more broad sense way, because I like to use it as checking question, right? Like, what do I, what do I want to accomplish today? Which I talk a lot about in my book. But I, I took a moment at that random day in November here in Chicago, it was 70 degrees. So of course my ass went straight to the lakefront. I was like, we're soaking this up, journal in hand. And I asked myself that question, you know, what do I want? And the answer really surprised me because the initial thing was like, I want what I already have just a little bit more. Like the fact that I already have what I want shocked me because I feel like we use that question as like to keep, to continue to move the goalposts. Like we never really get what we want because as soon as we get close, somebody tells us we have to move it even farther to continue the momentum instead of just celebrating where we are and giving myself one, that permission to celebrate where I am and know that this doesn't mean I'm done like this. By no which way or form means that I've succeeded in everything. I've done, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm my father's daughter. I will never be done. But it was really cool to understand that for myself of I have everything that I want. Now it's just that little bit more. It's now expanding that 
into other spaces so I could, you know, support more people. I can create more memories with my family. And I can do this with this sense of just pure presence instead of figuring out where that next paycheck is going to come from. Yeah. I love that you said that you're your father's daughter. I know that you come from an entrepreneurial family, a musical yep. family. You mm-hmm. dedicated your book to your dad, which I, I of did. course underlined. <laughs> yeah. I, I love all of that. And I also have felt, you know, like what you're saying, I have mm-hmm. said to myself out loud, I just want more of what I've got going on. So to me, yeah. it sounds like you're really at the scaling stage. Yeah, it's, I have been in this interesting space with redefining words for myself because especially in entrepreneurship, we have those buzzwords that you either have a really cool connection to or a very traumatized connection to. And scaling is one of those words because to me, I go back to that traditional, well, now we got to find what's the next avenue, what's the next thing. And we have to define it and we have to make it measurable and we have to make it legible, I guess. And however, scaling is the right word because I'm now, you're right. It's it's more of that expansive scaling. It's that I now have the space and the energy to look outside of the box even more and honoring my human design of strategy, wait to be invited, see what profitable opportunities come forward now with this extended boundary. So yeah. So with that, with that premise, I'm definitely, I guess, almost a major <laughs> of where I am. I love the reframe. That was totally corporate PTSD, which you mentioned (laughs) in the book. You're like, no, I have some words like that too. Like low hanging fruit. When somebody says that major trigger, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I I don't see people like low hanging fruit. And if that's how you see who you're doing business with, that doesn't really align with my values. Yep. A hundred percent. And it's those, it's those ways that we are, well, one that I'm helping my clients redefine these terms for themselves, like success, satisfaction, money offers, all of this stuff to, you know, again, using their human design as a framework for that vernacular and saying, okay, you see it this way. So for example, not to get too deep into human design rhetoric, but part of what I love to do is talk about a sub-circuit, which is basically your form of communication. And I love that entrepreneurs connect to this because it just shows how they can step into social media or how they want to share their message. And I was working with one of my clients and inside of their sub-circuit is a logic circuit. And they're like, I don't think I'm logical at all. Like I just kind of bust in and I do all these things and I have to experience. I said, okay, that's the traditional term of logic. Like we think scientists, we think process, we think step-by-step. It's like, let's use the words from your human design vernacular. And let's show you how I can reframe this. You don't have a hypothesis, but you do come into with a set of expectations. That's a hypothesis. And in order for you to weed out what you can utilize in this space, according to their design, you have to experiment and experience that goes along with logic. Like you have to experience this. So you know, now what to be true, what to take, what to leave behind. And then you know what steps to take forward. That's the equation to me for you of logic. And they're just, they just, like their minds were blown because they were so set on not using these terms instead of taking a moment and figuring out how we can absorb them and customize them to us. So we don't limit ourselves. We just use it as another way to expand what we already know. Yeah. Speaking of expanding what we already know, I love that you mentioned a lot of entrepreneurs have trouble finding accountability partners. 
my biggest accountability partner, truthfully, is my dad. Do you call your dad for accountability? You know what? I don't. (laughs) My dad and I have a very, I love our relationship. And when it comes to business, we just, we come at it from different directions. So it's not accountability that I like to talk to him about. We have a lot of just discussions of how his company is expanding with, you know, this new culture and all these new things. And he kind of asks me millennial questions. And I love to get his feedback on just how do you see this shifting? Like, how do you feel about, you know, these new sets of not rules, but just guidelines that newer employees are coming into? So we have more of those discussions, but I do have an amazing accountability partner, my biz wifey, Stevie. We have been accountability partners for four years. We've talked twice a month for four years. She's in the UK and she's just been an utter godsend because she was the first person that I could just riff on with business stuff and have, and she's not going to try to solve it, right? Like she's not trying, she's not going to, unless I ask her for, for support or for feedback, she just sits there and holds it. And I do the same for her. And to see how our businesses have changed and grown and shifted in the last four years. And we still like twice a month. I mean, I don't think we've missed a month ever. At least we've talked at least once a month in four years. It's been so cool for me because she was that initial relationship that I can have business quote unquote relationships without it having to be with an angle. That's amazing. How did you guys connect? We were part of the boss babes. I don't know if you've heard of boss babes. It's I'm giggling because it's not something I prescribe to anymore, but you know, boss babe back in 20, whatever, 19, 18, it was the thing, but it's, it's run by these two women. I believe both of them are located in the UK and I just really liked their vibe. And so I got a part, I got to be a part of their membership. We were in a Facebook group and one of their pillars is accountability partners. So they said, everybody just put in, you know, what you're looking for, where you're at in your business, where you're at geographically and start, let's start like auditioning each other. And Stevie and I, Stephanie and I clicked instantly. She's a copywriter. She was newer in her business at the time and a little bit younger than me. Well, actually quite a bit younger, but that's okay. But it really was something where we got on the phone and or on Zoom and we just clicked. And we both had horrible experiences with accountability partners where we turned into either coaches or therapists. And so we were really clear on our boundaries of what we wanted to talk about, of how we wanted this to work. And we've just been virtually inseparable ever since. Yeah, that's amazing. When I was reading that part in the book, I was just thinking you can be connected with all of these people on social media, but how are you really adding value? And maybe it would be a good idea to reach out to some of those people who you know are your people and are constantly supporting you on different channels and see what do they need accountability with. And like you said, audition them. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's really, it's important to find those non-judgmental spaces. We're hard enough on ourselves. (laughs) And when you get into, you know, some of these masterminds, sometimes you can see the people, not all the time, but sometimes that want to still be the leader, if that makes sense. Like they're always interjecting or they're always wanting to share their thoughts instead of this truly collaborative, collective space where you're just like, look, I just need space held. If you have a solution, I will ask you for it if I feel called, but I just need to 
And there you go. And it's, it's really hard in the entrepreneurial world I have found to truly find spaces like that. So when you do, and I've been honored to find a few. So if anybody wants to talk to me about any of them, I'd be more than happy to refer, but it's finding those people, those spaces that you can really just step into. You don't have to show up. You don't have to like, you can just be and talk and it can be personal or business because they're both related in my mind, which I talk a lot about in my book, have that camaraderie in that space because they're they're not, a, it seems like everybody's an entrepreneur, but there's really not a lot of us that are truly in that space and want to build out from that space, if that makes sense. Yeah. I also have to say that over the past two days, I have turned off my phone. I actually had my phone turned off until right before this interview. And I was thinking about like how many hours I have before I have to pick up my kids and what Mm -hmm. I need to accomplish today. It seems like such simple advice, but the notifications and the social media are taking up way too much time. As much as I love doing it, or I think I love doing it. And yes, we do need to build a personal brand. Like I'm all about that. That leads to incredible opportunities. But like you said, maybe just doing scheduled periodic check-ins versus Mm -hmm. the scroll. And then I will be able to get a lot more into my day. These past few days, I have been the most productive I have been in so long from having read your books. So thank you for that. Well, you're so welcome. And it's, and that's what I love hearing because it really is those little things. And that's why it's called, you know, the simple five point profit priority plan, not the easy, because we like to make it like we can make it as hard as we want to, but honestly, to protect your time and energy, it really is those little simple things that make such a big difference. And those notifications, mine are still off. I don't get the beeps, the banners, nothing. I still hold office hours for when I go onto social media. And I talk about my book as well of different ways that you can do that. But I still completely practice what I preach of I don't need to know. I don't need to be involved a hundred percent all the time in order to gain the clients. Like it's so important that you're bringing people into your space that already respect those boundaries instead of you having to explain them or use them as ways to prove your value. Like I always think about when my, my mom's a retired kindergarten teacher and she always says, you know, the first month of school, the rules are the rules because you need to set those expectations. And then when you wiggle a little bit, all of a sudden it's this huge reward and everybody really respects that wiggle because they know it's not going to come all the time. And I say, it's the same thing in business. You really do have to stick to your boundaries. So when you do choose to go over a little bit, your clients respect it and really hone in on it because they know that you are doing something for, for your choice outside your boundary. And that in and itself, isn't a requirement for your value. All of a sudden, it's just this beautiful bonus that you can just freely give as you have the time and energy to do so. I'm curious, like, because you mentioned in the book too, like business is like fitness. Mm -hmm. Do you still keep up the same fitness routine? Have you relaxed there a bit? Are there some e-exercises that women in their late 30s, early 40s should (laughs) Should fit into their calendar? Right. You know, honestly, now I'm completely of the subscription of movement is movement. And if it's got to bring you joy. I'm done punishing myself. I punished myself as a competitive dancer and as a competitive martial artist for, you know, 13 years and unhealthily you'd utilize that space. So I am now definitely of this season in my life where I'm like, I just need to move. 
And what does that movement feel like to me? I'm no longer that I'm going to run. Well, I did a half marathon. So of course that's a little bit different when you have a, when you have a training thing that you need to do that you choose to do. But now that that's over, I'm now back to how do I want to move today? Do I want to go to the gym? Do I want to go to a yoga class? Do I just want to walk five minutes extra in the cold here in Chicago and call it good? Like movement is just key to anything. And again, even in that, it's those little things you do that make the biggest difference. So if you schedule a 15 minute walk by yourself every day, that's 15 minutes of beautiful alone time that does so many more things than just the pure physical, right? It is definitely honoring that mental and emotional profitability. So it's again, reframing it into this isn't something that I have to do. Even the way I talk to myself, I used to say all the time, I'm going to be, you know, a good girl and go to the gym. Now I say, you know what? I just feel like I'm going to, I'm going to go to the gym. Like it, it doesn't equate to good girl or bad girl. It's just, I feel like going to the gym today, or I feel like doing this today. And I'm not bad because I didn't do it. And I'm not good because I'm, t- I did. It's a choice that I made of how I want to utilize my time and energy to help me be more profitable. So again, it's those, like just those little shifts of something is better than nothing. And what that something is, is dependent upon your time, your energy, where you're at in your cycle, let's be honest. And you know, what really is something that you're going to stick with that brings you more than just that, you know, pat on the head that you went to the gym today. Yes. I cleared off the floor of all my kids' toys. And I was like, this is the perfect space to like turn on a very relaxing yoga class. I was like, I feel more like doing that today than a run. You know, my kids gone from school. I'll turn on my nineties hip hop and I will dance my face off for like 30 minutes. Like I'll was on Lizzo. Like, again, it's just those things of what's just going to make me happy today. Cause life is too short to punish yourself or to say, I have to, instead of what do I want to do today? Yes. I love that. And I want to get a little bit personal because you did mention when you figured out what you wanted that led to you getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's led to a lot of things, but definitely that's the probably the best, I don't know if that's the right word, but best example. (laughs) This quote that I love that I got from my mentor, John Maxwell, where he says, in order to create what you want, you have to start saying no to the good so you can say yes to the best. And I, through personal development, all these things realized that I needed to say no to my good marriage. And it was good to this day. Love my ex-husband. We are both now with different partners. We have a very modern family where the four of us hang out together. We communicate often. I still talk to my ex and laws. Like, I realize this is not your normal jam, but I love my modern family and I'm so grateful for it. But it really was those things of why would I sacrifice my true happiness, our son's true happiness, his true happiness for something that's just status quo. Like the more that I sat in that more like this doesn't, I'm, we're, I'm cheating everybody. And it wasn't an easy decision. I definitely didn't wake up one day and be like, all right, so this is the next step. I had a lot of therapy sessions and a lot of time to like process this out. But I mean, obviously hindsight's 2020, but it was the best decision to see, first of all, the relationship that my son now has with his father. I don't know if it would have been this close if we would have stayed together. Honestly, mostly because of the choices. It, it was dual, right? Like he, it's not like he did everything wrong and I did everything right. We both were making just not the right choices for each other and trying to be helpful, if that makes sense. But if I would have stayed on the same path of, of the choices I was making, I never would have given my ex-husband the space to explore a relationship with our son. It would have stayed this very 
I stay home, I work, he travels all the time and he just pops in when he can. And I want to make sure that everything's taken care of so he can just like do his thing, right? To, you know, him now taking him overnight. And this was on the cusp of, you know, him being my, our son being recognized for being on the autism spectrum. So that as well, just like, we just both have to figure this out on our own. So for him to find his way and his relationship with Max and how much Max just loves him is beautiful. The way that I see him with his partner is beautiful. And his partner is a good friend of mine. I've known her for years. It's so cool because he would have never, I don't think he could have ever evolved into that type of partner if he stayed with me and vice versa. The partner that I have now is the partner I've been manifesting since I was 12 years old. I never would have found that if I hadn't made that choice. So again, it's those things of like, when you are set with difficult decisions, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. But if it's just something good, why there, I don't really see the risk in saying goodbye to it and creating space for something better because it's going to come if you do the work, not if you just sit there, but if you do the work, that better is always going to come. And how epic is that, that this was just the good line. And now what we have is, I mean, it's going to sound so cheesy, but it's really magical of just what we now have as a family unit and as individuals. Um, I want to go back to when you were 12 and you started manifesting what you thought you wanted. <laughs> I just, I don't even know I did. It was, so I, I'm an, I'm an avid journaler. I was very, 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 very shy growing up. I mean, who I am now, you couldn't have picked me out of a lineup up until I was about 35, let's be honest. And I'm 40, I'll be 42 this year. Very late bloomer in so many ways. But I was very shy, very insecure. Capitalize the fact that I was six foot by the time I was 13. Like just all the things, right? Went to a small Christian school. That's a whole nother conversation. But I wasn't very good at communicating my feelings because our family wasn't very good at communicating. So I journaled everything. I got my first journal and I was 10 years old and I have been, I mean, I'm not like a super due diligent journaler, but I still to this day journal as one of my ways to outlet. And I keep my journals because I think it's always interesting to go back. So randomly I was cleaning out one of my memory boxes and I found some of my old journals and I was like, let's just see what, what the journal wants to read. So I do that thing where you just open it and see what page it goes on. And it's literally like what I want in a boyfriend in this like pink hearted thing. And Except for the fact that my partner is not 6'4 or bald. He's 6'2 with very lovely hair. All of the characteristics, all of the things, all the ways that I wanted to feel, all of the, all of those things, it is him verbatim. It's weird. <laughs> and I didn't even know what manifesting was at that time, right? Like it was just some, it was just a 12 year old just imagining her Prince Charming. And there you go. 30 years later, ta-da. <laughs> I love that. Have you seen the show or heard the podcast mortified no oh my god girl it's people reading their journals honey i could i mean i could probably have a whole one woman act on my (laughs) i actually saw it live in la when when they started the show you would love you would love i mean i wanted to do it because i too was a journaler as a kid yeah i felt like I couldn't talk to my parents about a lot of stuff. So I would just pull out a five subject notebook and fill it up. Mm -hmm. One of those got read. And so 
I stopped doing it, but mm. I do have some that are hysterical. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to actually have the courage and confidence to just stand on right. stage and let people laugh about what I used to the write. The stuff that we thought was so important and so life ending. And I mean, again, you only know what you know at that age. And I think that's why I really love getting older because just the more that you learn and understand when you look back. But yeah, some of the things I'm just like, oh, honey, really? That? And But also some heartbreak because I had a lot of body image issues for a long, long time that I kept really secret. And those two of like that heartbreak that I couldn't find somebody to trust with those thoughts. I mean, obviously I got through it with a lot of other outside help as I got older. But it's those things of, I think that's what makes us now more aware as parents and more communicative, I think, as parents, because we, and I'm going to just say the royal we, a lot of us didn't really have that space at home to just like, one, just your parents even truly asking how your day was, like more than just how your day was, like just asking those deeper questions. My mom and I got into a conversation about this, how my mom and I are thick as thieves and we haven't always been that way because, you know, mother, daughter is what it is. Now, as later in life, we talk at least once a week for a couple hours a day. And my mom knows everything, everything. There's nothing I don't tell my mom anymore. And that probably was initiated by the fact that she went to my bachelorette party and played Never Have I Ever with my friends and learned a lot about me. And vice versa. But she, we were talking about how her friends are always like, oh, it must have been so nice to grow up so closely to your daughter. Mom's like, I didn't grow close to my daughter till she was in 30. She's like, we didn't talk. She goes, I grew up in a generation where nobody asked children how they are or what they're doing. You just, you're just there. And she goes, what really inspired me to be more communicative with my kids is watching my kids talk to my grandkids and the questions that they're asking them and the conversations that they're openly having with their children at a very young age. She goes, that really inspired me to, of how to ask questions to my now grown children and have these very open, beautiful conversations. So I think those things as well are really beautiful to look back on because we can now, we we have more insight on how to talk to our children or just people around us because these are the questions that we wanted people to ask us. So I feel like it's just this really beautiful growth in communication. I have to tell you something funny. Yesterday, my just turned 12 year old daughter is having a sex ed class and mm -hmm. she screenshotted the diagram and texted it to me with lots of laughing faces. <laughs> but I love that she's comfortable doing that. Yeah. I would have never done that. Oh, my mom, I mean, my mom taught my quote unquote sex ed class. I thought about sharing the nice picture of the vagina, but I didn't. Right? Like share, show this to your future partners where things are. But yeah, no, my, I, when <laughs> I mentioned I went to a Christian school. I was in a very, 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 very small Christian school from second to eighth grade. And my mom taught the quote unquote sex ed class, which had nothing to do with sex. I learned sex through like most children of the eighties and nineties through television and best friends and books. Right. And the only sex I learned was just what happens when your period starts. And this is like, that was it. No mention of the other gender and what they do is just get to know your body. And this is quote unquote sex. So yeah, Max is the same Max at 12. They, he, he has sex ed almost every year, but they, they make it age appropriate. 
right? So it's more of like gender equality and, and just naming your parts and what respect is and consent is and all those things. And now that he's going into middle school, obviously they're having a lot deeper conversations. And one time Max was going to bed and he just kind of, he just kind of sighs. And I was like, what's up, babe? He goes, I don't want to be a teenager. And I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm scared of the change. <laughs> Did you know what, bud? Me too. But we're going to cross these bridges together. <laughs> That's sweet. Right. But I would have never thought to even slightly share that with my mom of being worried about transitioning into this next, you know, version of myself. I never, that would have never entered into my mind. And I love that as quote unquote little those insights are, it is those little things that I love that he feels comfortable just naturally expressing to me, especially when it comes to fears or doubts or all those things. And I think that's really going to be such a big shift in how everything changes, business, professional, is how that communication is really becoming something vulnerable and connective and without an angle of, without a transactional angle. It's definitely becoming more of this relationship building, connective mess, you know, story sharing kind of way. And I'm I'm really here for it. Oh yeah, totally. I also struggled with body issues. So I'm interested in, do you know where that developed? I could look back on it. And of course there's those little things that you hear your, your mom self-talk to herself as she's looking in the mirror and it's kind of self-deprecating herself. And I can, I can definitely remember watching my mom do that. I think where it came to a head with me and where, and the era that I grew up is in high school. So I graduated high school in 1999 and eighth grade freshman year was the Allie McBeal year, right? So size zeros were now in stores. There were stores called 579. Everything was very focused. There's the fat-free craze. Like everything was very skinny health focused in the 80s and 90s. They still are now, but I feel like this was like the start, right, of all of these fads. And at six foot, (laughs) by the time I'm 12, I put it the way that I am built, I literally can't get smaller than an eight. And that's not in a healthy way. My healthy is size 10, 12. Proud of that. Sometimes 14, bro. But when you're a teenager and all of your friends are wearing zeros and twos and fours, and you look thinner just because of how tall you are. So people are purchasing for you size twos and fours and sixes and nothing fitting. Also, I developed late. I didn't have any sort of female representation until 14, 15. And even then they were very little, which now I love back in the day, not so much. So it's that. And I think where, as I've been processing back through it was just my, not skewed, but just trying to fit the definition of female. And again, kind of going back to that title of what I thought a female needed to look like to be accepted, to be asked out, to be loved, to be all these things. And then try to emphasize what I could (laughs) of my quote unquote female body. And it was just never good enough. I was either too broad or, you know, I was too tall or I wasn't skinny enough. And being a dancer, competitive dancer, I ended up quitting because then that just, you know, spiraled into not eating anything except for drinking Diet Coke all day. I was sneak buying paid for TV or made for TV, those diet drinks where they're like, drink the fat away. I was sneaking Dexatrim pills, like just anything to not eat, to try to be skinny and still competitively dance, work out all these things. So I think it just really came from 
me wanting to look the part of a female. And now as I'm older, understanding what female means to me. So I connect as being a non-binary female because I, I embrace my female traits and my female characteristics. And I'm more than that. Right. So having that release and pressure on myself of, of presenting like a female and just, again, really finding my way with words and my connection with words and how I can expand them or reframe them to put less pressure on me and really make it mine. Wow. I love that. And honestly got goosebumps when you were talking about that. What kind of professional dancer were you? So I danced from age eight to 18, did like mostly like modern tap, you know, in the nineties, you're doing all the hip hop competitions and all that stuff. It was when I hit, I was, I auditioned and made into the top dancing company in my high school. And I realized that it was just not a healthy environment for me in many ways. I was also a theater nerd. So that duality of being a theater and a choir nerd, but being in a top dance group with all of the cheerleaders and we have what's called McCharmers, which were the dancers with the band and like the that subset of people was really weird for me because I didn't connect to a lot of what they did because my group of friends were, we were the nerds. We were the quiet ones. We had different ways of partying or hanging out. So it was the middle of my senior year. And I was like, you know what? This isn't fun for me anymore. I'm not healthy in so many ways. And I ended up just quitting half year. And luckily that back in the day in your senior year, you could have off periods as long as you had all of your requirements already done. So instead I decided to be a TA for my theater teacher and just flip over. And that's when I moved actually into martial arts because I loved the community around it. And I loved kind of that badassness of, yeah, I can beat up a dude. It's kind of cool. But with the forms, have it be more dance-like and have it all that. So then I just moved my time and energy in to that. And then from there, personal training school and then da 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 <laughs> That sounds a lot healthier though. Much healthier. I mean, it took me... It took me a long time for the for the food thing to find its place. I definitely found a healthier outlet when it came to working out with martial arts and what really why I wanted to do it. So it wasn't to compete with somebody else. I was the first person in my family to do martial arts because my brother, older brother is like, you know, the gifted child that everybody wants is their firstborn. <laughs> God bless him. And so a lot of the time I was just doing things after him just to try to compete. And I started martial arts first, got pretty high up. And then my brother started and it was kind of fun that it was something that I was better than my brother and I could kick him in the head and do things that I, cause I am taller than him, but that a normal little sister can't do. So yeah, it definitely brought me into a healthier space of what fitness can do for you mentally and emotionally. And then with personal training school and kind of being back in the fitness industry, I was able to reframe again, how I looked at food and utilized food, but it's, it was definitely a very long process. How does all of that fit into human design? Ooh, great question. So there are actually pieces of your human design. I don't work a lot. Human design has many, 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 many layers. I mean, so many layers. It's the onion of all onions. And even the creator of human design says it takes at least seven years for you to fully embody your human design. So again, this is not one trick pony. This is layers of awareness and building. But there are pieces of your human design that show you your best environments for eating, the best temperatures of food for you to eat, how to eat them. Is it more intentional or do you do better if it's more structured? 
And then, you know, what types of foods tend to just either alleviate something or expand on an area that you want to make stronger, more creative, whether it's your solar plexus, your heart chakra, all those things. So there's definitely layers in there, but also physical activity is different for each of the types. And this was kind of funny for me because as a former personal trainer who worked out five, six days a week, physical activity is actually not high on a priority list for a projector. Interesting. (laughs) Right? So I think that also helped me shift what physical activity meant and why I was doing it. I was doing it to beat myself up. I I wanted somebody to either make me throw up or just because I wanted to prove how strong I was and how independent I was. And I mean, again, more layers of shit that had nothing to do with fitness. But when I peeled that all back and realized that I'm not designed to exert myself that much and still be energetically effective, that came up with a lot of things that I had to sit with of why am I doing this? What really is my quote unquote return of investment? And what else, what other ways can I exert this energy or get this validation from like other, from other avenues and other ways? And so there's definite pieces in there that just show you the best ways to exert this energy. It's not always physical. Manny Jens, who can do multiple things all the time, they're, they are actual multitaskers. So anybody who says don't multitask, mm-hmm need to exert that energy because they actually can get thyroid issues because they're like lightning in a bottle. And if they don't exert that energy in some which way or form, whether that's artistically, vocally, you know, business-wise, what have you, it can tend to just store in their thyroid. And I've met a lot of many gens who have had thyroid issues. They're like, no, that tracks. And as soon as they started making different decisions on how they utilize their time and their energy, their thyroid started getting better. Now I'm not per saying that that is a guarantee. I'm not a doctor. And I have had people that have seen changes in their physical health, their mental awareness, all of those as they've started utilizing more and more of their human design. Interesting. Do you miss the dance or the personal training? So I actually have a personal trainer now and it's kind of fun to not have to think <laughs> and just see what he comes up with. I miss the expression of dance. Cause again, for somebody who didn't talk a lot, theater, singing, writing, dancing were my first forms of expression to get that out. And so I do miss that of just being able, instead of having to formulate the words, I can just dance it out. And I I do love the community that dance can build. So again, it's now finding different ways of how do I utilize dance without trying to be a perfectionist or trying to like, oh, it's five, six, seven, eight, seven, you know, whatever. Two more, I'm going to put music on and I'm just going to see how my body moves me and just really trust and, and go with it. Well, one form of of expression is podcasting, which you've gotten into. And also now you're an author. And I swear, like at the end of this book, you're like, there's another book in me. Is there? Are you working on another one? So I such great questions, Rena. Yes. And I think how that is looking is actually just making an revised, expanded edition of She Hmm. Profits. Because I still love a lot of what I talk about. I say that she profits is almost the entryway drug into human design because it helps you just get comfortable with sitting with yourself and connecting with yourself and trusting yourself. And then the human design is just that real, here you are. And so you have that kind of motivation. And I also know just from my own journey with gender identification and all of those things, wanting to make it more inclusive. Even with the title, She Profits, I know that that can be described as a lot of things, but also just 
I want to, I want that book to expand the way that I have expanded. So it could be a complete revision. It could just be a volume two, like start here and then move on here. I don't know, but I'm sure, I'm sure something is going to be birthed at some point because there's just too much in me to not. (laughs) It was well-written. I mean, it flowed. Talk about the process of putting that together a little bit. For somebody that wants to do that. I know myself very well. I hired somebody. Yes, I could. Do I want to? No, I do not. Nor do I have the time and energy. So I hired an amazing publishing coach. Her name is Melissa Wilson. She's here in Chicago. Highly suggest her name. I loved her because our initial conversation was just all about what did I want this book to look like? And what's kind of, you know, what did I want to portray and what, it, what, how did I want this to look? And I talked a lot about, I have a signature talk that I've been doing now for four years. And I said, well, there's a signature talk that I do. I want it to be that, but more accessible and deeper than just a 30 minute talk that you might've caught me doing Lord knows where in the last four years. Cause I really feel like these are important points that we skip over that no matter where we are in our entrepreneurial journey, we have to, need to, should go back to on a regular basis to make sure we're staying in alignment with who we are. And again, this is before I even discovered human design. So she goes, okay, let's, she goes, talk me through your tops. I gave her the quick outline. She goes, that's your book. So what we did, because as you can tell, I am a verbal person. We had a standing meeting once a week and she would just go, okay, talk me through point one. And then she would ask me questions. And then we would explore how we could expand on that and what facts could we find. Cause I love the combination of inspirational and factual, like spiritual, structural science universe. I'm all about showing how those work cohesively very well. And I wanted this book to be not only motivational, inspirational, but also action-based because there's so many books we were like, I'm inspired what the fuck or here's the process but you have no emotional connection to it whatsoever and I wanted it to have both and walk you through how I've already done it how somebody I've known has reframed it and done it differently but still gotten you know amazing quote-unquote results and at the end of each chapter is like okay here here's some suggestions of action steps that you can take now that you've sat with this so she you know let me just word vomit it she had it transcribed an editor would make it look pretty. I would go in and fill in some other things. And it was just this really beautiful teamwork process that, again, really supported how I communicate. And even the questions of, do we keep the F-bombs in there? I said, absolutely, because if you're going to meet me, it's going to come out. How the cadence was, it's me talking. So that is exactly, I wanted people to get to know me. And if they ever met me, go, oh yeah, no, that is Mel. That's exactly how she sounds. Cool, cool, <laughs> right? Like instead of this kind of persona of what I thought would resonate with somebody, that never works. Whoever resonates with you is going to resonate with you. So step in as yourself. Yeah, I loved the book. It's really easy to read. There's definitely good stories in there and actionable things that you can do. I do need to Google though, OHF. What does that oh, holy stand fuck. for? What is it? It's- Oh, holy fuck. It's those oh, holy fuck moments. I thought it was oh, hell fuck. <laughs> I like oh, hell fuck. Yeah. Oh, holy fuck. Because it's literally that. Are you fucking kidding me? Like we all have those. Or I call them universal I should have Googled that before this, but that's kind of funny. <laughs> and I think I mentioned it, like the definition of it, like in the first part of the book. But yeah, that's because it's, it's much deeper than ahas. Like ahas are like, oh, this is like, oh, holy fuck. Like now I have to take action because this is just ridiculous. <laughs> 
That's good. I was like, whatever that is, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to mark up books. I feel bad because I'm Same. like, oh gosh, they're like oh, I a dog work ear. of art, but like oh, I yeah. doggy ear, I yeah. underline, I star, I write people's names that I think of in stories or connections that I want to make from books. And I honestly did that throughout your whole book. I love it. Thank you for sharing that because that's what I wanted it for. I wanted it to be really used and something that you will go back to because it's still something I go back to, especially the what do I want question and how am I taming my time? Is it still in alignment with what I've been doing? Is it still serving me the way that it has served me before mentally, emotionally, and financially? So it's definitely one of those books that, again, is going to just stick with you because we're we're human. We're going to need those reminders. We're going to get lost. We're going to get overwhelmed. We're going to get, you know, caught up in something. And to have something you've already made notes in that you've connected to once and you kind of know where to go back to. of like, I don't need to read a whole book, but I need to read, you know, Dawn's story again. Or I need to read Mel's story in chapter two again to just like, remind myself why this is important. And it's not a step back. It's just going back to those basics that keep us sustainable through this process. I want to ask my dad what he wants. Yeah, that was actually going to be my question. (laughs) Really? I was going to say, do you have anything else you want to ask? But truthfully, I even asked that on Twitter. Like, do you know what you want? I mean, you could write a whole journal entry on that. Mm -hmm. And even just, you know, and again, I, I love that question because it gives you the permission. And if you're, you know, for those of you listening to this and you ask yourself that question, give yourself the permission to not have any context around it. Cause we start to do that. We start going into, well, how, well, what does that even look like? Well, fuck that noise. What do you want? And just get it out. And then, because from there we can really see one, what we already have, which again was a huge OHF for me. And two, what is, are we really moving in the right direction to honor what we want right now and then utilizing that same question to check in with ourselves on a daily maybe hourly basis (laughs) like okay shit's shifted now what do I want and how can I fill my time and energy because I have full say on how I spend the time that I have and then relook at the big picture and be like you know what that does not resonate with me anymore so we're just gonna move that on and now do it. So again, it's just this really playful, but yet structural way for you to just check in on yourself without any context, any angles. Don't worry about the how, what do you want? And just see really what comes forward as well as what is connected to other people's definition of what you should want for where you are right now. That's so good. Thank you. I've loved Mm -hmm. this conversation. And I definitely Mm -hmm. want to talk to you about accountability partners or groups that you think would be beneficial because I think I need more accountability partners for sure. You know what? I always say it's, it's all about the vibe that you're looking for. So me for where I am right now in my life and in my business, I am and I'm not saying that these aren't great spaces. I'm just now not inside of them. I'm done with the instant referral. (laughs) If I'm going to refer you, it's because I've gotten to know you. Like you and I, we hopped on coffee. We talked for like an hour and a half. I know instantly now how to refer you, even though I know what you do, but I don't know what you do, if that makes sense. That's what I want. I want people to come to me like, I don't know why, but you just need to meet Mel and you see how it goes. So I'm more of those spaces of not let's talk about traumas because that's a very Gemini thing of me, but I'm done with small talk. Let's talk about real shit. What are you struggling with? 
Who else cried in the shower today? Like, what is it that you really just need to get off your chest or share to show that you're not alone because you're never alone. Even in those little moments, the more that I started sharing about my son being autistic, when I was speaking, I got so many great just relationships out of that. It had nothing to do with business, but these caregivers were like, okay, so can I just ask you, like, does your kid do like, it's just those factors that you just didn't know you needed until you saw somebody else experiencing it. So my friend Jennifer Nagel hosts these amazing mixers and I can give you all of the links where she's, she has a group called success revolution. And it's honestly, I just went to her first, well, my first mixer that she hosted in January. And I loved it. Cause they're like, introduce yourself as a person. And here's the icebreaker questions. If you had an extra hundred bucks, what would you do with it? You know, just these icebreaker questions. And they're like, if that turns into a conversation about your business, then go for it. But we're all, we all know we're business owners, but let's get to know each other and see how we connect on a deeper level, which is so in alignment with my podcast. And I went and I loved it because I didn't feel the need to like sit up straight. I rouse up. I need to have my 30s. You know, like I showed up and had conversations and I'm going to have another virtual coffee with somebody that I met there who we just found so much already at alignment with little things. And then we started talking about business and we're like, oh my God, we need to talk to each other. And who knows what that's going to turn into. I want to do one of those with like my podcasting community even. Right? Yes. And I want to build something like that with more than just as well as have more than just a collective. More than just a podcast. Yeah. And have deeper conversations of, you know, have my guests on, have maybe like a more than just a book club where we all watch a movie or we all read an article and we have a discussion about it. Like, how can we take these conversations? This is so important to me with my podcast. How can we take these conversations and continue the conversation? Because that's where the change happens. It's not like, oh, well, that's cute. No, no, like my book. Okay, so then what are we going to do with that? Now that you're aware of somebody's experience when it comes to being a Black person in corporate or this woman's experience as being a mother who is first-generation Pakistani-American and trying to wrestle with being a mother to a daughter. Her like Again, so what are we going to do with this information? Because this is all information we need to have and insight we need to have. If we don't do anything with it, then it's just like a move point. Yes, and that's your hats off last chapter that I won't give away. <laughs> yep, Yeah. 100%. What are we going to do with it? We're gonna keep this conversation going. Yeah, 100%. And and it's those little conversations and how can you get into, and I wanna expand on that as well. Having conversations is great. Who you have those conversations is even better. Mm. So who can you have conversations with that you don't have the same conversations with every day? I love going into spaces where I know I am not one of a million people, right? And we all know what the spaces those are. I like to walk into spaces where I'm obviously welcomed and- I can observe and listen and learn and have different. And again, that's what I love about my podcast is I can have those different lenses of somebody else's experience to expand what I already know and educate me on what I don't and how I can continue that education for myself. So having these conversations are great. How can you expand who you have those conversations with and what you do afterwards? So, so good. And you are way more than just a business and life guide. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Let people know how they can find your podcast, reach out to you for accountability, all of the things. 
Beautiful. My podcast is on Spotify and Apple, more than just podcast. You can also find it on Buzzsprout. Best ways to stalk me, I tell people, is on Instagram or LinkedIn. Instagram, my handle is at Mel underscore McSherry. LinkedIn, Mel McSherry. Very easy. If you want to explore more of how I work with others in my human design readings, you can pop onto my website, Mel McSherry, or buy my book. You can go to melmcsherry.com. And I will put all of that in the show notes. Thank you, Mel. This is so great. Thank you. I loved this. Thank you for having me. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. So Mel McSherry just did a post that says she just wrapped up season two of her podcast. And she said that she's done looking ahead. All of the people that she's been talking to, the new theme is meeting people where they're at. For so long in her life and business, she was looking 10 steps ahead. And what's interesting too is that her podcast is called More Than Just. She wants to be more than a mom with a kid with autism, more than a coach, more than a consultant, more than a trainer, more than just these titles. Well, but she wants to be able to do it with a carefree attitude. She doesn't want any pressure on herself or on people that are around her. And if people are going to have conflict, it seems to me, and I don't want to say it in a disrespectful manner, but she wants to avoid conflict at all possible. And that's really what she wants. She wants to be able to have people have access to her and where she can learn from them and give her experiences and figure out a way to do it tension-free, conflict-free, noise-free. She wants to be able to elevate herself and overcome adversities as her guests want to overcome adversities, but she wants to do it where there's just no negativity around at all, or she wants to walk away from it. She doesn't want to be involved in any conflict. Now, is that really realistic to be able to avoid all conflict at all costs, including changing relationships? If someone wants to run the show differently than her is the way I take it even from her possibly from her first marriage, that, hey, we can be friends, but I want to be able to do my thing. I want to be able to do it my way. And I, I'm open-minded to hearing other people's methods. And I don't mind if they cooperate with me, but I'm not going to bend to the institution of work, play, or, or anything. Okay. I want to be, she really is uh, beating her drum to herself. She's not going to play music for anyone else but herself, because that's the way she's going to feel the most comfortable. And maybe that's the answer that a lot of people need to do, is to not let others determine their destiny. You have to determine your own destiny, and you have to be comfortable in your own shoes. You can't wear someone else's clothes. She even brought that up where, because of her size, that the people around her made her feel bad that she can only be a certain size. And if she tries to, with her build, tries to lose too much weight, she's never going to be a size zero. She's going to be most comfortable, I think she said, as a 12. That's a long way off from uh, zero. But you have to be comfortable in your own skin as well and your own body. I think whether you're a big person or a small person or any person at all, working out, eating right will make you feel better and be able to give you an opportunity to feel good about yourself. If you're feeling good about yourself, you have a chance to accomplish a lot more, not only uh, mentally, but you have to physically be in good shape as well. I mean, you and I have talked about the small number of people who are really there for you and that God gave us all a unique purpose and 
maybe well, we shouldn't I, dim out our own light and maybe I, we should focus on ourselves a little bit more too. We've had that conversation. Well, well, I told you the premonition that I got on this last trip to Israel is that I have to learn to get along with people that don't agree with me and even people that are possibly could be negative with me is to figure out where I don't let them bother me, okay, when they're making all that noise and figure out a way to rise above it and show that I can get along with anybody, even the distractors or people that are going to be in really total disagreement if they're holding the wand, so to speak. It certainly helps to turn off some of those notifications. We live in a very tough world with big ups and downs. And the nice thing, I don't remember if it was from the last episode or not, but we usually learn more from the mistakes that we have. And the funny part is, is that it's okay to lose because it can be a beautiful learning experience. But when you go to school, which was brought up in the last episode, if you fail a test or two and you don't get your grades up within a certain period of time, you're out of there. So you're under pressure where you have to be right. You have to get it right. And you have to do it under someone else's criteria. A lot of people have found that they can be a lot more successful not feeling the pressure of someone else's criteria, but they feel a lot better if they can ascertain gains in their life at their own pace and where they do things that they want to do, things that they love to do, and where people help them achieve what they believe that they're going to be good at and what they enjoy. I think a she's of- a big proponent of that. Actually, one thing that she very much focuses on is asking people, what do you like and how do you and, figure and, that and out? What do you really want and figure it out? That's really, I think, the essence of this show that she put on with you tonight is that don't get caught up in semantics. Do what you feel good about and let's talk about it. Let's brainstorm and figure out a path to go forward that you can be most comfortable with. Do you know what you really want? I mean, it's hard to spell it out. Some people can't even say it. Well, we've talked before. I've always been there fulfilling sometimes other people's dreams. And has that become part of my dream? And the funny part is, is that I'm easy to please. You know, I'm like laser. I'm the easy guy. I can get along and be happy with all different groups of people. And I enjoy that. I enjoy learning all kinds of different things and being a participant or being engaged with many, many variables. So to say that I want to do exactly this or do exactly that, to me, that's not really the most important thing to me. It's being involved and being part of the show and being able to participate in a broad arena of things. Uh, That really does turn me on. And when in doubt, better call daddy. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.